field and they see the, the trees and the flowers and they look around and at all the creation and uh, they know that there must be an intelligent designer, a powerful creator, but they don't really know God until they know the love of God. Turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Kings chapter 8, and I'll get to it in just a little while. There's one verse there I want us to focus in on for a while. You know, there's no denying the fact that we live in a troubled world and it's difficult and a lot of times, you know, we we want to be the exception to the rule. We, some way or another, we we just want to, you know, get out of it. I don't mean out of the world, just out of trouble. We don't want to have to endure any discomfort or any pain, any suffering of any kind. That's human nature. That's just the way that we are. And the fact of the matter is, um, as Job said, man, this born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's life. But one of the best safeguards against us hitting the panic button and going into a state of depression and disappointment and living a life of defeat is thanksgiving. Being thankful for what we do have. Thankful for what God has given us. And every year we acknowledge that on Thanksgiving Day and actually every day ought to be a Thanksgiving Day. We give thanks for what He's done. Uh, Psalms 126 and verse 3 says, The Lord hath done great things for us. Isn't that wonderful? Great things for us. And nobody can deny that. He didn't do just great things for somebody out there somewhere. He did great things for all of us. And He says, Whereof we are glad. Whereof we are glad. The Bible tells us what can we render unto the Lord for all of His benefits. So we have so much to be thankful for. There's just no way, no way that we could possibly itemize everything on the list. But today, I want us to think about some things, some things to be thankful for, things that, that God hasn't done It's real easy for us to think about what God has done, but I want you to think about what God hasn't done. Tim, come up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down over here, and and if you will move this back to where I can, where I can see. I'm I'm sorry for this. I was afraid this was going to happen, but uh, yeah, I got to see my wife over there. Okay, that's good. What God hasn't done. Think about all the things He could do. Uh, There's there's no no limit to what God could do, is there? The greatness of His power. But think about what He hasn't done. As I was thinking about this message, I got to thinking about Jeremiah. And I've often said he was my favorite Old Testament prophet and Jeremiah, when he started out, he, God called him, said, I called you from the womb. In other words, I had a plan for you to be a prophet from the womb. That ought to tell some people something about this matter of abortion right there, hadn't it? God had a plan for the man even before he was born. 
And when God spoke to him about it, he said, but I'm, I'm, I'm just a child. I can't do that. And, and every time I've ever read that, I thought about the time that God called me to preach. And I, honestly, I thought this can't be real. I thought this is just the emotions of having been saved two months ago. And I, I'm on an emotional high or something. This can't be real. It's surely that God wouldn't use me. After all, I'm the one told the teacher in my senior year, you can fail me if you want to, but I'm not going to stand up and give any oral book report like you've requested. And said, well, you're going to fail the class. I said, you do what you got to do, but I'm not going to do it. And then here I am a few years later, God calling me to preach. Well, Jeremiah, I think, must have felt that way. And God convinced him to go and to proclaim the word to his people. And the message was that, uh, that they were going to be invaded by the Babylonians. And as a result of their sin against God, God was going to allow the Babylonians to conquer them. Now you already know that's not going to be a popular message, is it? The people are going to despise that. They're going to call him a liar. And whenever you begin to read through the story there in the book of Jeremiah and see how they responded to it, you see that he was falsely accused. And finally in chapter 20, he was smitten. He was put in stocks because of his preaching. Now keep in mind, this is his own people. This is the son of the governor, the high, the high priest at that time, who is doing this. They're beating him, putting him in stocks as a result of that. And so when you get down to verse number 7 down there, Jeremiah says, in essence, Lord, you've, you've deceived me. You've deceived me. Now think about that, because although we don't come out and say it, there are a lot of times that we get in a frame of mind to where we feel like that God has deceived us. It's kind of like Jeremiah saying, Lord, I didn't want to do this in the first place. You're asking me to do something that can't be done. You want me to go deliver this message of damnation to a people that despise your word and not going to listen to me anyway. And God had told him that. They're not going to listen. It's not your job to make them listen. It's your job to tell them. But to imagine someone with the character of Jeremiah, someone as great as Jeremiah, that would get so distraught that he would accuse the Lord of deceiving him. And immediately, don't you ever think you can't get to that place in life where you feel like God's being unfair with you? You deserve better than what you're getting from him. I mean, our attitude tells us that. We, you know, we're not going to come right out and say it. That seemed too unspiritual. But our attitude is that this just isn't fair, what God's putting me through. We feel that way. But the great thing about it is just a couple of verses later that he begins to realize what he said was stupid. And he begins to talk about the greatness of God. Now, that didn't just happen with Jeremiah. Basically, the same thing happened with Job. It happened with Elijah. Crawled up under the juniper tree and said, just kill me. I, I, just, I just want to die. Now, the point is 
that there are times that we feel like God has deceived us. And I want you to know that we ought to be thankful that God hasn't deceived us. Wouldn't it be awful if the Bible was a hoax? Wouldn't it be horrible that we've based all of our hopes, all of our dreams, our eternity upon what the Bible says and come to find out it was just uh, written by a bunch of religious fanatics way back when? How terrible it would be if the promise of forgiveness was not real. Someone said that Jesus is either Lord, a lunatic, or a liar. And I want you to know He's Lord. He wasn't crazy and He didn't lie. He is Lord. He's exactly who He claimed to be and you can trust whatever He says. Be thankful that God has not deceived us. In fact, the Bible says God cannot lie in Titus chapter 1. Now notice in 1 Kings 8, verse 56. You remember that David had wanted to build the temple and God said, no, I'm, I'm going to use Solomon to do that. You've been a man of war. And he said, you've done your part. Now I'm going to let Solomon do this. The Solomon has been active in building the temple. Now they're bringing the ark into the Holy of Holies. And they've called an assembly of all of the people together. And the Bible says, And the glory of the Lord came down, and there was this cloud, the Shekinah glory, representing the presence of God there in that place, signifying that this is God's house, God's place. That's basically what God did on the day of Pentecost with the Lord's church, by the way. This is God's house. So he calls the assembly of the people together. And I want you to notice in verse 56, he says, Blessed be the Lord, that he hath given us rest, given rest unto his people Israel according, now notice, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all of his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. And whenever you look back to the time of Moses and you think about the promise that God had made and you think about the things that they had gone through and the things that they are about to face, this invasion by the Babylonians, it would appear that God is going to end up failing to come through on His promises. And here we have this word of assurance that God has never failed Hebrews chapter number 6, verse 18 says, It is impossible for God to lie. You've heard people say, Is there anything God can't do? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. God can move a mountain. God can do whatever. But there's something God can't do. God cannot lie. He cannot lie because the essence of His being is what? It's love. It's purity. He's holy. He cannot lie. And He's never lied to us. And we can rest assured that He hasn't deceived us whenever we open this Bible and read those exceeding great and precious promises. Those are the things that keep us going during the toughest times of our life to read where I can do all things through Christ or God will supply my every need and all of those other promises. 
They keep us going because we know of a certainty that they're true. He hasn't deceived us and he hasn't destroyed us. The psalmist said in Psalms 103 verse 10, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I just want to get what's coming to me. I just want what's coming to me. Now, look, if you're talking about a paycheck after a long week of work, you deserve what's coming to you. Right? You know, you, you expected so many dollars an hour, the week is up, you expect a paycheck. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about in regards to what we deserve so far as God is concerned. And we're all undeserving. If we got what we deserve, we would all be in hell. I love what Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter 3. He says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. That's true of everyone. It might be that you've been saved longer than anybody here this morning. It might be that you have strived to live the very best that you possibly can, but there's one thing you haven't done, and that is you have not lived a perfect life since the day that you were saved, and you never will in this world. It's true of everyone. We have all sinned, and God could have destroyed us anytime He pleased, but thank God He didn't. Thank God He didn't. Even though we're saved and we're on our way to heaven. Every person here has done enough that even now if you got what you deserved, you'd die today. Think back to... Imagine what is, the, what, what is the worst sin, the sin that, that has caused more heartache, pain, and everything else. Where do we find that sin? Well, all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? I mean, that's the sin that, that brought all of this upon us. What did Eve do? She... This, look, to the natural mind, this doesn't seem serious at all. God said, don't eat that, and she ate it anyway. Adam knew better, and he ate of the forbidden fruit. They didn't do anything that, you know, that we would consider to be a terrible transgression. Of course, they didn't have anybody there, you know, at that point in time. They've not uh, murdered anyone. You know, all of the big sins... And in God's eyes, every sin is a major sin in God's eyes. And it might not be an overt, that is, outward sin. It can be something that's here in the heart that only God and you know about. And if God wanted to just get real strict with you, you sinned enough already today or this week that if he wanted to, he could literally destroy you and there would be no way that we could indict him as being unfair. And if you're here today and you've never been saved and you die in your unsaved condition, that's on you. That's on you, not God. 
Because the Bible says, He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and He sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. The Bible says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And it's not God's fault if you reject Him. But thank God He hasn't destroyed us. I remember shortly after we got saved, and, and uh, Bev and I was over at her grandparents' home, and her mother was there at that time. And I think the argument some way involved my mother-in-law. And I'd only been saved a short time and uh, lost my temper and said some things I shouldn't say, got mad, took off walking down the road. And, uh, and anyway, uh, was you walking down the road with me or you, you called Brother Hankins a preacher? How dare you? And I think if I remember right, he stopped and picked her up. Maybe all of a sudden, anyway, he pulls up there. He says, what is going on? That was one of the most embarrassing days of my life. I couldn't believe that. I wanted, I wanted him to think, boy, I've been saved now, and I'm, you know, I've got my act together. You don't have to worry about me anymore. But she told the preacher, you know, that I wasn't acting good. And he caught me walking down the road. Thank God he did. I'm saying all that for a reason. Listen, I've never lived a perfect day. And nobody else has. And we need to be so thankful that God hasn't destroyed us. Ananias and Sapphira, what they they told a lie. Just a lie. And, And God killed them both. Over in Psalms, chapter 9, and verse 10, here's something else we ought to be thankful for. And that's the fact that he hasn't disowned us. He says, For thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. Now, although we're saved, we're not sinless. I think I've made that point pretty clear. And although we sinned, and let's suppose that God... Uh, doesn't kill us. That's good news. But God, you know, God could have, he's got another option. He could have said, look, I'm not going to kill you. I just don't want anything to do with you anymore. I'm going to disown you. I'm glad he didn't do that. I'm glad that the Bible says that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Nothing. There might be someone else do something that is so offensive to you that you, you feel in your heart, I can't ever forgive them. I shouldn't have to forgive them. I mean, what they did was so horrible, so terrible, and so often. You need to remember you're talking to somebody about somebody that God still loves. Amen. God hasn't given up on them. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. When I was born, October 23rd, actually about 9 o'clock that evening, 1941, I became a member of the Stone family. And over the years, I did things that, that I know was embarrassing to my parents. Things that were shameful to them. 
16 years old, I got my half pint of Jim Bean out of the gun cabinet and went in there and smacked it down on the supper table. Said, I know you all know I've been drinking anyway. Said, I'm going to stop hiding it. I'm surprised Dad didn't knock me out of my chair, but I was... And over the years to come then, I did things that were shameful to them, embarrassing to them. But there's never one time, not one second, I ever stopped being their child. And I want you to know that with God, we have an even more strong relationship with God. Amen. That He's never going to disown us regardless of how terrible our failure is. There's something else we need to be thankful for. And that is the fact that God, and I want you to really listen to this, that God hasn't discouraged us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Boy, I think about Paul all that he went through. If anybody had a reason to get discontent and grumpy and give up, it was Paul. Think about, here is a spiritual giant who went through all of this suffering. And he said, yeah, but I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. I've learned it. And I want to show you why. This is what he wrote to Timothy. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I want you to know as we face difficult days, tough times, rough roads, the horrible hardships of life, that truth ought to encourage us. God's not the one that discourages us because this is what He gives us. This enables us to overcome the discouragement. He gives us power. He gives us love. He gives us a, a, a sound mind. You see, as a Christian, we don't have to be controlled by the circumstances. God has made every provision that we can live successfully and even joyfully and thankfully regardless of the circumstances of life. In everything the Bible says, give thanks. There's always a reason to give thanks. There's always a time that we can rejoice because we can rejoice in the Lord when we can't rejoice in the situation, but we can rejoice in the Lord. It's never God's fault that we get discouraged. It's simply the problem of us not receiving what He has provided. Because He says, here it is. I'm, I'm going to give you a sound mind. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you love. I'm going to give you everything that you need that you can succeed. And when we appropriate that to our life, Philippians chapter 4, that's, remember that's where Paul is saying, rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice you know why it's important? Because it says whenever we do, here's what happens. He gives us the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Verse 7 of that chapter. Do you have that peace today? That peace that passeth all understanding? Or are you so troubled, so riddled with doubt, just so much in despair that, that you're a child of God and you, you can't even enjoy it? 
Believe me, I'm not just preaching at you. I'm talking about us. Because at times we all get there that even though we shouldn't, we get in an attitude of despair and, and we just feel like it's not even any need to even try. Whoever invented that phrase, old age ain't for sissies, knew what they were talking about because you've got to be tough to get old. The older you get, and if I'm not careful, by the way, sometimes I'll just be honest, sometimes I get reckless instead of being careful. I get to the point that, you know, at least in my mind, I can see the end coming in my mind. not strong like I used to be. I can't do what I used to do. And I can talk myself into a pit of depression in a half a minute. And that's on me. That's not God's fault. That's my fault. Because God says, I'm going to give you power, love, and a sound mind. I'll give you a peace that passeth all understanding. Thank God Every day for the things that God hasn't done. He hasn't discouraged you. It's not His fault. And nor has God disregarded us. Because let's be honest there, sometimes we feel that God is a million miles away. We try to pray and the heavens seem like they're made out of brass. We pray and ask God for this and ask God for that and we don't see any answer. Or we don't want to get the answer we want. And we get all bent out of shape as a result of it. We don't think God's being fair. And He has disregarded our prayer. When in reality, were we as wise as God, we would thank God for unanswered prayers. Because in reality, every prayer is answered. It's either yes, no, or wait. And God knows what He's doing. And you can pray for something that God knows that you don't need, but something rather that would ruin you. And God's a good Father. He's not going to let you have that. God doesn't disregard you regardless of how you feel. And as I often said, believe it or not, God's more concerned about you than you are about yourself. I know it doesn't seem that way. It seems in your mind, well, he just marked me off the list or I wouldn't, I wouldn't be going through this tough life like I am. No, God's very much aware of where you are and what you need. He's not disregarded you and he never will. But there's something else that we as Christians especially ought to be so thankful for. And that's the fact that God has not deserted us. Now let me explain. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, For God hath not appointed us, speaking to Christians, He's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now whenever you read the entire context, you see there that He's speaking about a judgment that's coming, that Christ is coming. 
He's coming in the clouds of the air to catch his people away. We're going to be caught up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Doesn't that sound great? Wow, that is awesome to know that we will ever be with the Lord. But there's something that happens in connection with that. And that is immediately after that is the tribulation. The seven year period, as Jesus said, this most horrible, worst period in the history of the world. Oh, sometimes we think we've seen it all. We've seen it as bad as it can get. And you watch some of these history channel shows or whatever and and you look back at history and see how cruel some of these people were. And it's, it's unbelievable, unimaginable. And yet the Lord says it's going to be worse than that. And the point that Paul is making here to these people for Christian people is that he has not appointed us to wrath that wrath that's coming upon the world, but rather to obtain salvation, that is deliverance by our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to be left here to go through that horrible time. Now, I know we talk about how bad the times are and the fact that things are bad and they're going to get worse and worse, just like the Bible said. But you better thank God that as a child of God, you don't have to be here during that seven-year tribulation period. And if you're not a child of God, you better, you better get saved before that time. Oh, if you got it in your mind, I believe this with all of my heart. If you've got that in your mind, if the rapture takes place, and I come back here to church next Sunday and all of these people are gone, just a few of my, my friends still there, but my Sunday school teacher's gone, the choir's gone, and finally you come to the realization that... Uh, that the rapture took place. You remember Brother Kenneth preaching about the rapture. You remember that message. You think, I, I'll remember that and then I'll get saved. No, you won't. Because the Bible says instead of doing that, you will believe the lie of the Antichrist. He's going to come up with some cockeyed story that people are going to believe about the disappearance of all of these Christian people. The only time you have to get ready to be prepared for that horrible day of judgment is right now. And I want you to know, you ought to be thankful, that God hasn't dictated our salvation. That He's dictated, as it were, that some are going to be saved and some are going to be lost. The Lord is leaving the door wide open. Amen. And there's no reason for anyone not being able to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And oh, I beg you this morning, God has given you this opportunity. You ought to be so thankful for that. There are people that die every day that never had the opportunity of reading the Bible, never heard a preacher get up and preach, never sat in a Sunday school class. They never heard the gospel. You say, well, where are they at? You're thinking about way over in China or the depths of darkest Africa or something. There are people right here in America that have been deceived by different religions that have never heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But you can't say that 
because you hear it from your Sunday school teachers, you hear it from me, you hear it from Brother Kenneth, probably heard it from your grandma and your grandpa and your mom and your dad. There's no reason for you to reject what God has provided, and that is salvation for eternity, the gift of life, eternal life. And I hope you'll receive him this morning. And if you're here and you've already been saved and Maybe, maybe like, like me, sometimes you just let yourself get in a, a develop a bad attitude and despair because you don't like the way life is going. And I want you to know God can help and will help any of us with that. God has not, is not the guilty party when it comes to us getting discouraged and disappointed and depressed. God's not the one that's guilty of that. It's us. It's us. It just might be today that he's helped you to realize that and you just want to write where you are or maybe you want to come forward to what we call an old-fashioned altar and get on your knees before God and say, Lord, I need your help this morning. I'm getting so tired of failing day after day after day. I need, I need your help every day, but especially today. And boy, we could leave here today a whole lot different than when we came, maybe. A whole lot happier and have that peace that passeth all understanding. Would you bow your heads with me, please, Tim, and the musicians are going to come. And I want the Christians to just pray, everyone, their head bowed and eyes closed. I don't want you to worry about singing right now. Tim can either sing a solo or Kathy can help him or Kathy can just play softly on the piano. But I want you to just open up the doors of your heart this morning. And maybe this is, helps you to realize that you have a whole lot more to be thankful for than you thought. Might be a lot of things in life hasn't gone your way. And you're mired down in guilt and despair and you don't, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to get out of that miry pit. God is speaking to your heart. Don't say no. Don't say no. 